heard about a wise man who told his followers, there are two things in life that matter above everything else. First, integrity. He said, if you make a promise, you carry it out, even if it bankrupts you, cripples you, or even kills you. The other thing, he said, is common sense, like having the sense not to make that promise. I think promises are pretty easy to make, but fulfilling them, that's where it really gets difficult. So today we're beginning a new series based on the book of Daniel. Now I would imagine that some of Daniel's friends, Daniel himself, were wondering about the promises that they had made before God. As I said, promises are easy to make, especially when things are going well. But what about keeping those promises during difficult or anxious times? That's where the challenge becomes very real. Now, we chose Daniel. The pastor sat down and chose Daniel because we're talking about the challenge of staying faithful to God throughout our entire life. Not just now, but for a lifetime. Which provokes that question. How do I, how do you remain faithful to God throughout my life? Now, this is talking about living in such a way that when your life is done, you can look back and see that you have finished well. That's why we're looking at the life of Daniel, because Daniel, if you read the story, faced some incredibly difficult challenges. Yet, he remained uncompromising in his faith. So what did Daniel know? How did he do it? Integrity is one of the words that we could use to describe Daniel. This captive gets promoted to the third highest position in the most powerful nation of the world at that time. Yet, Daniel did not compromise. He didn't do, as we often hear, whatever it takes to get ahead. We begin by looking at his name. That Hebrew name Daniel means God is my judge. That name defines Daniel because it didn't matter what the king said, what his enemy said, or what his friends said. Daniel remained focused on God, not on what others thought about him. There's a clue. You know, it's amazing. When you look at the life of Daniel, you realize that there was challenge after challenge, time after time, when giving up or giving in looked far easier. I mean, who could blame him in the face of the trials he was going through? Yet Daniel remained faithful and did not compromise. Now, to understand the context of the book of Daniel, we have to go way back. About 4,000 years ago, when God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would be part of a kingdom that would never end. Soon after that, they found themselves, these same Hebrew people, as slaves in Egypt. Where is that promised kingdom, the descendants would ask? Then about 1400 B.C., the Israelites finally escaped slavery in Egypt. Then they go through centuries of struggle, finally entering this golden age. Under the kings, David and Solomon, things are more peaceable, more Boisterous and wonderful than they'd ever seen before. At this point, up to about a thousand BC, the kingdom is united, strong and secure. But then the kingdom that will never end 
fails to endure because they begin with civil war. They start fighting among themselves. The kingdom is divided, severely weakened, and in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom, Israel, falls to an invasion from the Assyrian army. I mean, this is a disaster, but it gets worse. Because in 605 B.C., the southern kingdom, Judah, also falls. If you know the story, the people are carried away into Babylon as slaves. It is not a good thing. You know, Babylon is referenced in the Bible over 300 times, and it is never good. It becomes the icon of evil. Babylon defeats the kingdom, which will never end. And to any observer... It would seem that all is lost, that evil has won. And that's when the story of Daniel begins. Now, things don't suddenly get better when Daniel appears, but it's the narrative, the story of Daniel, that gives us some clues of how we get back on track. Even up to 539 B.C., when the Persians conquer Babylon, the Jewish slaves who once languished under Babylon have a new master, a new culture, they've got to adhere to this. Seems like they're now twice removed from their own kingdom. It has been one disaster after another for the Jews. And it looks like the forever kingdom is gone forever. And it begs again a question. Is it possible to live with integrity, to live with conviction, when life is crashing all around you? You see, that question's relevant for us today, isn't it? What do you do when your dreams go up in smoke? Some of you actually today may be asking this about your own life. You know what you've been through. You know what you're facing right now. You know what might be coming. Maybe for some of you it's been the loss of a job or a job you just don't like could be a health crisis, a failed relationship. Maybe you're going through financial stress. Maybe it's just turning on the news and being so discouraged by that. Our world, our culture seems to be angrier, more violent, reactive, and divided. So this question is relevant. How do we not give up and give in? It may be at times like this you're tempted to say, God, It's not working out, so why even try? I can imagine there were Jews who felt that way when they watched Jerusalem burn, when they saw the temple looted. But what I love about the book of Daniel is that you see how to avoid compromise, how to live that life of integrity. And it's not actor answered didactically through teaching and principles, but you can see it in the life of Daniel, real-life examples. When Daniel was taken to Babylon as a slave in 605 B.C., he was just a teenager. He was a kid. But when the Persians invade Babylon in 539 B.C., Daniel is an old man. He's had a lifetime. But he doesn't compromise his faith. He does it without being sanctimonious. So today, we turn to Daniel chapter 1. Because we need to see how he did it. Now this first chapter is an introduction to many stories about Daniel. Chapter 1 has essentially three acts. 
could say it's a play with three acts, rapidly moving events which set the stage. Act one opens with fire, destruction, and pillage. We read in verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah, permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Jerusalem, Israel was destroyed. The Bible tells us, for instance, there are 580 objects of gold and silver and bronze in that temple. The Babylonians have struck pay dirt. I mean, this is a win-win for them. And for the Jews, it's not simply stealing their treasure. This is a disaster. Why would this happen, they're asking. Why would the Lord give Nebuchadnezzar the victory, allow him to take the sacred objects from his own temple? Remember, context helps. Because for many years, God had been warning Israel to turn away from their sins. But they didn't listen. Just before the Babylonians show up in, in, in Israel, Jeremiah said that God was angry. In Israel had begun, among other things, child sacrifice. Can you imagine? Sacrificing their own children to appease pagan gods. Jeremiah writes, the blood of innocence calls out to the heavens. And so when God refuses to hold back the army of Babylon, he is pressing a restart button for Israel. And now 70 years later, when the captives finally return to Israel, we read about an amazing revival. But from their perspective on that day in 605 B.C., the forever kingdom is a myth. When you're on the front end of it, it doesn't look like there's any hope. So in the opening verses of Daniel, a point is made. Remember this point. God has purposes I can't always see. It may look like the end, but if you know anything about the creator of the universe, you know that he has a purpose, even when we have made a disaster out of things. So the question is, can we have faith in God, in God's purpose, and not compromise? Then comes Act 2. Remember I said that first chapter has essentially three acts. In Act 2, the king ordered his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families. Families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. There they were to be trained for three years, and then they were to enter into royal service. The chief of staff renamed them. In other words, the king wants the cream of the crop. He asked for them not to murder them or to make them martyrs, but we would say to declaw them, to take away their fight. He does it by making them Babylonians. King takes these four teenagers and gives them culture, Babylonian culture to be specific, because if he can convert them, it puts an end to the resistance. In fact, the chief of staff moves to squeeze out any last vestige of resistance is he gives them all new names. For instance, Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. 
And as you look at these Hebrew names and what they mean and what they become in Babylonian, you can see it's not just a name change, but what it means is contrary to what they believe and have committed to the promises that they have made. Hananiah becomes Shadrach, Mishael becomes Meshach, Azariah becomes Abednego. These Babylonians change their names. In other words, their identity is taken and a new one is given to them. Everything is taken from these teenagers. Their homes, their lands, their wealth, their temple, their royal lineage, and now their names. We would say this is an early form of identity theft. You are no longer you. You belong to us, the Babylonians are telling them. They wanted the future leaders of Israel to forget who they are and whose they are. That was the plan. But then we read, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating food and wine given to them by the king. Daniel, we learn quickly, is a pretty wise kid. He doesn't yell. He doesn't threaten. But he comes up with a simple plan. He tells the chief of staff, let me and my friends go on a vegan diet, veggies and fruit. What Daniel has done is remarkably figure out a way to keep kosher requirements. He says, let us just stay on this veggie diet for 10 days, and if we're not fit, better off than those on the regular diet, then we'll go back to your menu. You see, these four young men are in a tough situation. Because if they eat the food on the king's menu, they will betray the standards of their faith. But if they refuse, they might be killed or beaten. Daniel finds a way to be faithful and at the same time not provoke the king. Act 2 brings out another point that's important because we're reminded that in any place I can live faithfully. Whatever my circumstance, wherever I am, I can choose to live faithfully. Daniel has found a way to show his devotion to, to God, even without offending his captors. He has said, here is a line, I'm not going to cross it. What's your line? Where's the line you need to draw? Maybe it's a secular setting. It could be a school, a workplace. It could be tough there. There could be all kinds of temptations. You might be the only Christian in your family, and maybe that's a tough place to be. But Daniel reminds us that we set the standard. Don't compromise. Don't lose your integrity. And you notice that Daniel was very respectful to the culture around him. He never comes across as superior or arrogant. Then there is that third act, which shows us, closes out this chapter. We read in Daniel 1.17, God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Now, we would assume, being of uh, the royal or upper-class lineage out of Israel, that they had a great education. They certainly knew their Hebrew culture, but they had an understanding for all cultures that was quickly absorbed. It turns out to be essential for their futures because soon they're soaking up Babylonian knowledge, which includes astrology and magic, part of that culture. 
As it turns out, that knowledge becomes a tool for their witness and their faithfulness for God. Now, this is a great example of the perspective that the New Testament would suggest centuries later. Be in the world, but not of the world. You don't have to be part of it, but do you understand it? Do you know what happens when you have an understanding of the feelings, lives, and perspectives of those around you? It changes your witness. You could speak about the love of God in the context of someone living in that world, the world you have an understanding of but you're not a part of. Now, that doesn't mean you have to live as they live, but understanding can lead to compassion, and compassion is the springboard for helping someone. For instance, if I learn the science and the psychology of addiction, then when I'm speaking to an addict, I speak from a position of understanding and not judgment. My goal is the same, and that is to help them, to care for them. What a gift God has given these young men. Apparently it works out because we read that Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. That's 80 years later. God gave Daniel the blessing of intelligence and influence for a long time. But here's the point, and the point I want you to remember from this third act. You can be a blessing, a reminder of God's love right where you are. Now, don't let that just fly past you. This is important. You may not be in the job you want. Maybe you don't even have a job. You may feel that you're trapped, that your life and your dreams are in a rut. But remember that God can use your life for good right where you are. Dallas, Dallas Willard put it well. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. If we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment, as not being right, then we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. Think about that for a moment. Your job, your marriage, your relationships, your schooling. You might describe any of those as saying, well, I'm bored. Or... I'm resentful or I'm bitter. Or you can allow God to work in and through your life for good. God can use your life as a blessing, as a way to reveal his love in any place, at any time. Keep in mind those three principles. God has a purpose that you can't always see. And in any place you can live faithfully. You can be a blessing, a reminder of God's love right where you are. You see, a life of integrity begins when you say yes. Yes to allowing God to work his purpose wherever you are. So this final question for you. Are you willing? Daniel was, and his story still changes our lives today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for preserving this remarkable story. Very different context and culture and experience from ours, but it teaches us so much that we need to know 
that we need to keep in mind. For like Daniel, we too are your sons and daughters. And we're called to live that extraordinary life that is a reflection of God's grace. Help us to live that way each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you paid attention to those words. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That must have been a perspective that Daniel exercised every day. Lord, give me the strength for this day. and Never let me lose sight of that hope that comes with your promise. The Holy Spirit has come to be with us, the living presence of God, that we might have that strength every moment. We've got to open that gift. We have to invite that presence into our lives to let God effuse and use us and never lose sight of that hope. No matter what you see in the news, no matter what you're dealing with, God's promises never fail. So go now in his peace and go in his love. Amen.